It is said that mindfulness practice is not about seeing something new, but seeing in a new way. It's not about having a new experience, but experiencing in a new way. So it means that a lot to do with this being with what is, and how you are with what is, is the exploration, is the discovery, is the path, how you are with what is. How do you meet it? How do you receive it? How do you relate to it? If you sit quietly, with your senses awake and aware to what's happening here and now, sooner or later, you'll start becoming aware of how you're relating to your experience. You're standing in line for the meal, and you can feel the impatience to get the food and not stand there. And at some point, rather than focusing on getting the food, it makes sense to become aware of what it feels like to be impatient the tension, the pressure, maybe the irritation. And to see that, <clears throat> to see it clearly without, maybe without believing it, without being pushed around by it, without being hooked into it. To see it in such a way, in a new way, so that you're free of it. And it's not so much that we have to go searching <clears throat> for discovering what our relationship is to experience. Because a big part of mindfulness practice is being present for what is obvious. So it makes it, it's supposed to simple and easy. 
in the present moment, what's, ob what's obvious. <clears throat> what comes, what arises, clearly, obviously, predominantly, without needing to search for something. Sometimes in spiritual circles it said that what you're searching for, what you're really searching for, is found when you stop searching. So rather than searching for something new or what's obvious, what, what arises. So when I told you about when I was 20 or 21, I lived on this farm and I learned breathing there, learned how to breathe. But I had one week where I lived alone on the farm with the cows. And um, I'd never been alone before for so long. The only person I saw in the distance one day was the mail carrier. Otherwise, I I didn't talk to him, so I talked to no one for a week, except the cows. And I uh, never been alone that way. And uh, as the days went along. <clears throat> One of the startling things that evolved was that my senses became more acute. And I saw things in a way I hadn't seen them before. And I'd look at a leaf and the leaf was like special, like, like a jewel. Look at food crumbs on the kitchen floor. Wow. Rather than, oh, yuck. Wow, just, it's just it kind of sparkles. It's kind of, everything stood out in the highlight was the feeling. And I wasn't trying. I wasn't like meditating on retreat. I was just freed myself from, was freed from social contact. And all the inner chatter and world and concerns that came for me and social world kind of fell away and so you know it freed up a lot of bandwidth and so I um, but the more amazing thing was as the days went along I also became acutely aware of my thinking in a way that I'd never had before I think I knew, I think I knew, I thought. <laughs> I think I, you know, could tell you some thinking if someone asked me. But I was a young man, I'd just grown up kind of with life and these things were kind of like, thinking was just kind of, I don't know, just 
just had to happen without needing to think about it or be aware of it or be conscious of it or something. I don't know what it was like, but but I remember uh, being amazed by the this, the sparkle and the clarity, the highlight which individual thoughts would happen. Wow. And I don't think I was impressed or unimpressed by the content of the thoughts or concerned with them. It was just like the fact that I was thinking. And I wasn't trying to look at my thoughts and investigate them and see them and highlight. That's what arose when the conditions were right. When the conditions were such that certain kind of mental chatter fell away and I was, I guess I was probably calm and present, heightened presence because I wasn't distracted by the people. So this idea of, you know, so what I'm trying to point to is the idea of the practice kind of has a flows and develops on its own. And we can stay very simple with it. Stay present for what's obvious, what's here. And as I've tried to say earlier, if you sit down in a quiet, peaceful setting, where your ordinary <clears throat> activities you have to be concerned with are not so active, and you can begin to unwind a little bit, and you sit quietly with your eyes closed, sooner or later, some peop many people will start becoming aware of their breathing. Breathing is one of the biggest physical activities you're doing if you're sitting still. And then breathing is a wonderful object of attention because to kind of then hang out with the breathing, stay with the breathing, the breathing is always in the present moment. And it's a way of supporting and guiding and helping the mind to arrive, to be present, to be here. And it's so tricky the way the mind is that it wants to think and I can't tell you how many times I thought I was present. I acted as, you know, I was meditating as if I was present. But I wasn't really present. You know, off wandering off in thought. The most dramatic time when there was a, I had that, I can remember this kind of happening was, I had a few kind of dramatic little events and meditating. One was, it was my first Vipassana retreat that I sat, <clears throat> sitting alone in this little hut in Thailand. And um, the evening and I was tired. And I was convinced I was following my breath, breathing in, breathing out, breathing in, breathing out. But what was really happening was that I was kind of in a dream state and there was this amazing theater and play going on the stage in front of me. And the characters, were, I don't know what they were doing, they were doing different things. And somehow I was convinced that the movements of the characters across the stage was breathing in, breathing out, 
and I was kind of mesmerized by this. So you, maybe I was kind of connected to breathing, but there was this whole fantasy that I was spinning. So the breathing, to really be with the breathing, is a training to be in the present moment. But, but to train to be with the, with the breathing has some, a lot of advantages, some of which I've talked about. <clears throat> but one of them is that um, it, it can be a support to become unself-conscious. So the mindfulness, the awareness, is not self-conscious awareness which is often the case that we're kind of self-conscious. You know, so we're, we're certainly aware, but we're aware kind of together with or with a filter of, you know, how am I doing? What am I supposed to do? I'm the doer. I'm the one who's got to do this. I should look more carefully. I shouldn't wander away. I, went, I wandered away. I should come back. And the, the idea of the I, the self-conscious doing of awareness, it's very subtle. It can be almost kind of, you know, like you know, it's almost like effortless sometimes to have a self-conscious movement of the mind going on. And there's something about some being involved with something that is like the breathing, that uh, you connect to it and kind of get into it, get involved in it, rest in it, absorbed in it. That sometimes uh, it helps free ourselves from any kind of self-consciousness. So the awareness is just kind of simple, just that, absorbed there. And we get the flavor, the feel for what it's like to be unself-conscious. So without the reference of self in what we're doing. And there are other activities in life that can do this as well. Sometimes activities, you know, we do. It'd be nice to believe that these wonderful morning sangha service jobs that you have, <clears throat> that by now you've mastered it. You know where the equipment is, and you know where you're supposed to be, and you kind of know the basic routine. <clears throat> and, um, and now you can kind of really take it on as a practice, like you would with the breathing, and really kind of give yourself over to be really fully there for what you're doing. And in, you might actually, if you just really do it, like this is the most important thing to do, and give yourself completely to just this, that it might actually help you to lose some self-consciousness rather than doing it self-consciously, and who's watching me do it, and I have to do it well so that I get approved or something. To, to do the activity whole, you know, with a full, your full being, with both hands, if you can, if it's appropriate, but just really there, really there <clears throat> for this activity. <clears throat> so the breathing can be this way. And um, as we kind of tune into the breathing, as I've said, sooner or later, it's kind of your body sooner or later will show itself. <clears throat> you don't have to follow the instructions, you know, Second step is to, or third step is to be aware of the bodily formations. And if you kind of get into the present moment with the breathing and stay with it, and the, you know, you start noticing details of the breathing, start noticing what's going on in your body. Sooner or later, some of you will notice the tensions you carry. 
And then the fourth step is to relax, to calm, to put to rest the, the bodily tensions that we have. And um, that also, you know, doesn't have to be a big project because if you're really present and sensitive, you probably feel the body wants to relax. It's kind of like it's almost inherent in tension that there's a desire to relax, to release. And sometimes it's quite wonderful to just be present for tension, holding, just really be there for it. Don't try to do anything with it, just be. And then it lets go of itself. Something very profound about not being the agent of letting go, but kind of letting it just, oh, it let go. But it requires a kind of gentle or clear presence and connection to what's happening that's not complicated, not for or against the experience, not trying to make something happen or trying to get rid of something, but just to really feel as if it has permission to be there. It can be there forever. To really feel the holding. Sometimes it let go of itself. And that's a very important lesson, that you don't have to be the agent. You have to be involved so actively. You can trust the mindfulness, trust just being present. So there's a lot of value in just staying with the breath. So that even just the first two steps are so simple. I believe that if you really give yourself over to just being with the breath, feeling the breath, training with the breath, that the other steps kind of, well, can kind of follow. And in fact, the other, the next, you know, all the rest of the 16 steps can kind of just follow. It doesn't have to be something that you actively do in a prescription step by step. And sooner or later, if you're sitting calmly, presently, and your awareness is developing and sensitivity is heightened, sooner or later you'll start becoming aware of what goes on in your mind, the mental activities you have. And that's the next step, step number three of the second tetrad is to be aware of the mental formations. To ex actually, it doesn't say where it says to experience the mental formations. So to experience the mental activities going on. So like I was in that farm in Norway, I started to become aware of my, my thinking. I remember once some years ago doing walking meditation and I was diligently doing walking meditation. You know, I, I'm supposed to know how to do this stuff. So I was doing my walking meditation and, and something wasn't quite right with the walking. And then after a while I started feeling, so I said, what, so I, you know, the, def, the default is to notice what's going on here, look around. And I noticed that there was a pressure in the beginning of a headache. And then I saw that um, I was trying to get concentrated through my walking. I had an agenda. I was pushing it. 
directing him. And that was, you know, was actually counterproductive. It actually kept me more agitated and tense than relaxing going into it. So, you know, I, I'm doing my practice, doing the walking. At some point, discomfort makes itself known. And then I look at that and then I discover what was going on. So this is a way of saying that we're paying attention to the obvious and letting the obvious teach us and take our time, be patient, so what comes along in its own time that we're ready to see and experience and be with. And it can be certainly counterintuitive to practice this way. It can be feel like it's not really practicing then because, you know, we're diligent and serious people and we're smart and and so, you know, we have to have a plan and follow the plan and know that's going to go somewhere and and to trust the experience we have, trust the mindfulness and trust that it arises. That what arises, what surfaces, what's obvious that appears is the appropriate place for the practice to unfold. So the, <clears throat> this third step of the second tetrad is to experience the mental formations. And one of the things we start feeling is if there's tension in the mental formations, pressure, the mental activity we have, we can feel the discomfort of that. And if you feel it carefully, you'll kind of feel that there's a pull, a movement towards releasing it. Partly because it's work to be tense. You have to apply effort. And it's kind of like rolling a ball uphill, like a ball, a boulder, Sisyphus and the boulder, you know, you're pushing it uphill. It's a lot of work. If Sisyphus could just step aside and let the boulder go, they would roll down to rest. So if we can, the mind will go to rest. The mind will roll, roll downhill, it kind of wants to do that, it doesn't want to always be active and busy and pushing and doing the work. So the third, third step here is to experience the activities of the mind, mental formations, and then to relax those mental formations. And um, I think many of you have maybe heard this instruction, the mindfulness of thinking. But I want to repeat some of it. And that is, you know, we're paying attention to the obvious or, or we're paying attention to uh, seeing in a new way to what's obvious. And that means to see holistically, to see the, all the aspects of it, to see it wholly for, fully for what it is. And thinking is something that we seldom see in a complete way, because thinking usually is about something, about some concern. There's usually a theme in our thinking. And so whether we have an image, think in, wor in images or think in words, it's usually something. And so we're often involved in the 
content of the thought. And the content of the thinking is sometimes important, sometimes nonsense. The content is the content, but there's much more going on in thinking than the content. There's the event of thinking happening. There's the mental processes and physical processes engaged as we're thinking. There is how we think, how we're engaged in the process of thinking. So if we get a holistic kind of, if we notice we're thinking a lot, and then we want to practice mindfulness of it, it's the obvious thing, we're thinking a lot. Thank you for being obvious. And so then we make it the object of attention. And then you see the thinking, and then open up and try to see it holistically. What, you know, what is this whole event? Certainly there's content, but there's also the energy. How, how emphatic is your thinking? Is it very strong and emphatic, insistent? Or is your thoughts kind of wispy and light and take it or leave it? Are you glued to your thoughts? Is there like a Velcro between you and your thoughts? Or I like, for me, I kind of used to imagine that there was like a rubber band between me and my thoughts. And you know, and I'd try to let go of those thoughts, you know, and they would kind of be, you know, they go only so far because the rubber band would kind of pull them right back. <laughs> or glue or something. So you can kind of, there's a, there's a, you know, what's between you and your thinking? that keeps them engaged. And there's some kind of, you can sometimes feel something like glue or, or a band or gravitational force, you know, magnetic connection, you know, the mag uh, magnet, kind of something that keeps you there. And it's generally belongs to, um, relates or related to interest. You're, you know, somehow you're interested or you believe it or you think it's important, or you're invested. Or you really like it. Or you really dislike it. You have enough dislike of thoughts and you're like wedded to them. You know, it's kind of Seems like if you really dislike it, you should easily let, let go of them. But strong dislike is just you're you're like, you know, you're kind of you can't get away then. So what is that connection between your thinking and you? What's the, what kind of what do you how can you can you feel that sense it feel it physically even? And then how are you thinking? Are you thinking with pressure, or you're thinking very lightly and no pressure just like clouds floating in this empty sky, just, just wisps of clouds going by. Because if there's, sometimes there's, uh, in thinking, there's pressure or tension or tightening someplace in the psychophysical system. So if you're opening up to, oh, I'm thinking, let's open up to this experience, open my eyes wide and see the whole thing, you might be able to find the physical corollary, physical aspect of it, tightness, tension, pressure, 
And then uh, I call that the thinking muscle, the physical aspects that are connected to thinking. And when the Buddha says to relax the mental formations, one way I understand that is you relax the thinking muscle, the physical, energetics, tension, pressure connected to thinking. And that's important to do because if there's pressure or tension, strong energy about to think, or strong glue between you and the process of thinking, you can let go of thoughts. But the sit, the whole, all the conditions are set up to pump out more thoughts. And so if you're only focusing on the content, what you're thinking about, and think you're supposed to let go of it, but the whole factory is still active, it'll pump out more thoughts. And so this factory is the, you know, the activity, the, so the energetics, what it feels like energetically in the system, what it feels physically in the system. Also what it feels emotionally. The holistic kind of view of, of thinking is to become aware of the emotions that might be connected to your thinking. And sometimes uh, I like to th I like to look upon thoughts as little signposts that's saying to me, "Hey, you, over here, look here," and it's pointing to the emotion. That's the source of it. Because sometimes emotions are the factory for thoughts. So. If there's a lot of planning, there might be anxiety. Certain kinds of re reviewing the past, this may be anger. Certain kinds of fantasy is, uh, might be, you know, searching for comfort because we feel lonely. So to kind of feel the emotional connection, so to, and take it all in, just be aware of it. And oftentimes the mental formations will relax themselves if we see the fullness, the totality of what's going on. Because as we see it all, we're not so invested anymore in the content, what we're thinking about. And if we're not so invested in the content, we're not going to be feeding the thinking so much, and the thinking will quiet down. Thinking is just another boulder for Sisyphus to push around. And certainly thinking is important and has its time and place for it, reveals a lot about life in itself, but it's not the only game in town. And so to learn how to see it all so we can kind of learn to the, the relaxing, try, putting to rest the mental activities. And I suspect that for a good percentage of all of you, that by this time in the retreat, you are in fact more acutely aware of what goes on in your inner mental landscape and your thinking and thoughts and mental activity. And if you're self-conscious about it, 
they can become kind of messy. Our reactions and judgments about ourselves. But then we have the breathing. And part of the function of just breathing in and breathing out is to keep us kind of involved with something that is not our self-conscious self. Keep us kind of fluid, relaxed. Stay with the breathing. So we don't get pulled into self-consciousness. <clears throat> and so if we see mental activity which doesn't seem very salutary about ourselves, it's okay. It's just mental activity, just, just thought. If we see have certain thoughts which make you angelic, make you like the the most compassionate Buddhists ever, stay with your breathing. Just the breathing kind of keeps you from getting hooked into that and getting self-consciously believing how wonderful you are. Just just be be present. So to see in a new way, <clears throat> to experience in a new way, can be to experience our life with trust. Having a, a profound trust in what is happening and being present for it. to trust what's emerging, to trust what's appearing, trust what's here. So this little idea that we say right on time is connected to this idea that whatever happens here, to trust that the causes and conditions are such that yes, of course that would happen. And maybe something is trying to work itself out. It's kind of like there's a deep, deep movement towards freedom within us. And freedom is not this complicated thing. Sisyphus has a deep, deep, deep wish to be free of that boulder, pushing that boulder all the time. Our whole psychophysical system wants to stop pushing boulders, carrying boulders carrying the burden of self and the burden of desires and clinging and fear and resistance. And so when we sit and practice on retreat, <clears throat> some of the important things that begin happening are part of this movement of freedom, part of this movement of what needs to arise so that it has a time to come out and 
be seen so that it can dissolve. And to sit and learn to trust that we can just be here breathing, aware, and allowing the obvious to show itself. And just be with the obvious. But be with the obvious with the intention to see it clearly, wholly, to really be there and to see it or be with it without being for or against it. And one of the <coughs> key mental activities that is being relaxed through the practice <coughs> is the tension of being for or against things in awareness. Awareness doesn't can be aware without being for or against anything. Just like this, just open, aware, present for what is. And so we can start noticing that the, the leaning towards, the wanting, the being for something, holding on to it, or we can see the pulling back or pushing away, the not wanting. And you can sometimes, we can sometimes we can even feel it physically, what it feels like in the mind to want, before or be against. <clears throat> but there's an alternative to being for and against, and that is to trust that it's enough just to be aware of what is and to trust the emergence, to trust that this careful, quiet, attentive presence that we bring to whatever arises, that's, that's enough. We don't really have to go searching or digging or fixing or arranging, but rather trust that we can just we keep cultivating the awareness, the mindfulness, to see and be with what is. And we don't know what's working through us. We don't know what needs to come, arise, we don't know. And when we come to a retreat and we have an expectation or an agenda, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. This is the retreat where I'm going to attain the 30-second jhana. <clears throat> or this is the retreat where I'm going to have, you know, some great insight. Or this is where I'm going to repeat the same experience I had in the last sitting or last retreat. Or this is the retreat where I'm going to work out some personal issue that I have. I've known plenty of people who have come on retreat, some big personal issue that they had, and they said, oh good, I'll get to deal with it now on retreat, and really look at it and be with it, and they come to the retreat, and lo and behold, it doesn't appear. <laughs> and the retreat's not about that issue at all. <clears throat> and then there's people who come on retreat, and they don't think they have an issue. <laughs> and then day two comes along, and. Oh, I guess I have big issues. <clears throat> so, 
I like to uh, like to say it that the Dharma knows what you need better than you do. The Dharma, reality knows what you need. Your heart knows what you need more than your mind knows. And part of the, <clears throat> the power and the specialness of awareness practice, mindfulness practice, training ourselves to be present for what is without being self-conscious about it, being stable and centered here and being able to rest in the present moment with it, is that what's so powerful is that it, it makes space for what needs to happen to arise and come. And we can learn to trust that, trust the mindfulness, trust the experience of what comes. And in that trusting, it helps the mental activities to relax. Because how many of your mental activities, your thinking and your emoting and your being for and against things and your desires and your in intentions, what percentage of them arise because of a lack of trust? We don't really, we're not really trusting life and how it unfolds. So in that not trusting, you know, it supports this activity and doing and fixing and solving and searching and finding a solution. But it's possible to trust deeply and just be with the obvious, the obvious breathing, the obvious body sensations that come the obvious emotions and thoughts that come. And then we train ourselves to see it in a new way, to see it holistically, to see it clearly, to see it, to be present for it without being for or against it, without succumbing to it, without believing in it, without disbelieving in it. And then allowing, seeing what wants to unfold and happen as a result of that. And I think that there's a powerful drive or powerful movement that's waiting for us, all of us, a movement towards freedom that's no different than gravity pulling the ball downhill, the boulders downhill, to rest. So here we are, and perhaps <clears throat> you can appreciate that the simple statement, here we are, is a profound statement. Here, just here, with this, in the middle of all this, to be breathing. 